Hey, what's up, Jolyn? Hey, how are you doing? Happy Tuesday. I need to turn down the volume in my headphones because she Like I said, happy Tuesday. <laughs> happy Tuesday and welcome to Executive Education, everybody. I got a question for you, uh, Jolyn, uh, really quickly. What if uh, AI produced a movie set like this? Ooh, man, I can see all types of possibilities. Look at that, like, curved screen. That can literally be any set. I know, right? This is nice. It don't smell like roaches or anything in here. Um, but yeah, I totally get on that. So without further ado, go ahead and cue the intro. What's up? What's up, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, and co-creator in all things galactic. Give it up for none other than the wonderful. It's Jill and GC in the place to be. What does it, cousins, on this fine Tuesday evening? And like we said, welcome to Executive Education, a show in which that we strive to make sure that you have executive level knowledge, but also looking beyond, like, you know, outside of the normal you know, content that you see out there. We like to prepare you for what is coming down the pipeline. So we got a lot to discuss because like we said, we got some deep dive. And since we're in our final semester here at Executive Education, uh, we are literally kind of like, we're trying to figure out how is that we can elevate y'all so that as you guys get prepared to graduate in this uh, world, uh, how is it that we can better prepare you for what's coming next? So this season is going to be all about deep dives. So be prepared. There's going to be a lot of information, but at the same token, don't worry, we're going to break it down. Now, last week, I went a little bit hellfire and brimstone and the powers that be said, Mark, you need to like, you know, scale it back a little bit. So <laughs> <laughs> classes in session today um shout outs to levic our producer in the background and of course if you want to be in the know like uh who was it today uh, i think it was zen and fit with the simple hi and i say hi back and you said what? i said hey zen and fit i want to shout somebody out i just saw yeah ty that's who i was gonna shout out there yay you <laughs> <laughs> what's good ty um, so if you want to be shout out just like those individuals, AKA the come of cousins, all you have to do is like subscribe and comment. And of course, make sure you have the notification bell turned on. So that way, if you're first in the chat, we definitely shout you out just like we did for Zen and fit. So thank you Zen and fit for having your notification bell on and we salute you. All right. So today we got a lot to discuss. So for example, we got IPOs to talk about, we got AI to talk about. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about security as well. Now, of course, Jolyn, the conversation this year has been all about AI and especially generative AI since ChatGPT became available to the wide array masses. Like think about how far along we've come in just a short span of time. Here we are in month eight or getting ready to be month nine mm -hmm. of 2023. And think about when ChatGPT like literally came to the surface to the general public when it really started to like hit its viral moment. 
uh that was like in january or like some people you know, yeah. yeah so, you know for you know we're not talking about like the trendsetter so the folks that were already in the know not those kids <laughs> but you know <laughs> general population <laughs> gen pop <laughs> it's okay you're all cool kids in our book <laughs> everyone is special all right so um yeah so chat gpt became available to the wide array masses uh to you know everybody starting around january february and then it caught fire i mean look at how much has changed the entire landscape you now have educational systems that are incorporating ai into their educational programs it's only a matter of time until you start seeing governmental municipal organizations also using generative ai if they're not already using it um without their supervisors knowing or without anybody else knowing so like for example the navy or army you know they're probably using generative ai uh to probably solve significant problems or you know simple mundane problems um you used it for though i mean just for probably reporting and then also for say for example if you need to examine let's say excel documents so like for example remember when i brought to everybody's attention claw.ai where yeah, you can upload like, documents. And now, of course, it's available on ChatGPT for the premium users. Mm -hmm. So those types of things where you can allow it to analyze documentation so that way you're not having to sift through hundreds and hundreds of pages in order to essentially extrapolate data or to understand it or analyze it. So I think that that's huge because it cuts down, you know, the workflow time so much, so much that essentially that you can get to the actual actual actionable related items. So honestly, Mark, I feel like sometimes, though, if you... For those that are like just like getting new, to, I call Chat GPT Aisha. So for those of you who are new to Aisha, like you don't want to get to the point where you're just asking it 80 million questions and you're not right. executing on the things, especially if you're in a creative mode, like yep. you can get paralysis. So I'm just a word of caution. Mm -hmm. But ask me what I've been using it. What's the last thing I used it for? I what is the last thing that you used it for? Oh Charlie? my gosh, thank you so much for asking. No, the last thing I used it for um, that I've been using it for like this week mm -hmm. is a writing a whole new season of Woke Rituals that will release uh, next. Are we almost done with this year? Yeah, so it'll release next year. Well done. Well done. Uh, and I'm excited for all of that because AI infused content. I'm here for it all day, every day. All right, so where should we start? Because we got, like I said, we got IPOs. We got. Let's start with the IPOs and then circle back to AI. Okay, so here's an interesting thing to like kind of pay attention to everybody because uh, for everybody, because if you really think about it, here we are in 2023. So if you think about over the last, let's say, 12 months, right? The last 12 months. So let's date it all. Well, we'll even go further back. Let's go all the way from January 2022 to let's say now, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, how many IPOs would you probably say, and everybody in the chat, I, let's make this a little bit, uh, let's make this inclusive. Interactive, okay. Yeah, so how many IPOs, I want you to type in the number amount of IPOs that you believe have IPOs since January of 2022 to let's say now. Let's see what's in the chat. Give them a, give them a moment. Let's let's so give me some time. Think through everything that you know is new. Think of you might want to think of like some mergers that may lead you to thinking about other potential IPOs. Like just start thinking through like what that might actually be. So we got um, one that says forty. Okay. Three hundred. Oh wow, that's a lot of IPOs. <laughs> Fourteen. Okay. Someone says a hundred. Okay. 80. 
This is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so let's wait for the final number. We All right. We got, we got 50 and 75. All right. And keep the numbers coming in, because if, if you see that you, you posted it by the time I say it, then great. Um, All right. We got Tunde in here with 615. Right. Okay. So, uh, unfortunately, nobody got it correct. Wait, there's someone. Did you see the last one? Yes. So, actually, Kenny actually got it correct. Go ahead and put him up on the, on the, on the screen. So Kenny got it correct. There were five IPOs from January of 2022 to now. Those were Credo, Semi, uh, Credo Semiconductor, Prime Medicine uh, in October of 2022, Acceleron in May of 2023. And then, of course, you had Kava's major IPO in June of 2023. And then, of course, we had Oddity. That followed the very next month in July. So only five IPOs during the entire time since 20, since January of 2022. Mm -hmm. Now we got some IPOs that are coming down the pipeline, right? So for example, we got Arm going IPO. We got uh, Instacart going IPO and a few others. But it really goes to show you exactly like, okay, hey, kind of like the sign of the times, right? So that was a significant, that was a, that was a significant data point in which that we saw and I think I just logged out for some reason. I don't know. Um, so it was an it was an interesting data point because it goes to show like, OK, hey, when a company goes IPO, it's kind of like their massive fundraising amount. Like, so, for example, let's let's take it back for for the folks in whom which that are probably new here in the room and probably trying to understand, like, what does that mean? So normally when you start off as a startup, you go from your friends and family or a.k.a. your seed rounds. And then you start to get those institutional rounds, which is your Series A round. So and those are like rounds in which that you raise money, raise capital and also valuation of the company uh, is also established for the company. But essentially, you go through all this process and ultimately it helps you scale over anywhere between a 12 to 18 month span when you're early stage. And then when you're in growth stage, it can take you all the way out from 24 to roughly 40 months of burn rate. Um, and so these things help companies ultimately get into those hyper growth phases in their period of time. Now it goes all the way up from series A all the way up to, in some cases, it can go to series J, um, like we've seen some companies, <coughs> Stripe, uh, where they raise uh, exorbitant amounts of money. Now, after you get to a certain point, you just start raising debt rounds. So you go from raising you know, equity, where it's like you're just giving out, where you're just shelving out equity to investors that ultimately become part of the cap table, to then you literally become uh, debt where it's like there's something that you're promising them over a period of time where it's either you're going to make it to a valuation or it could be also in the form of a loan or it could just be in the sense with the future of like whenever future you become IPO, then essentially you're awarded X amount of shares. And so then it's like when they go IPO, it's just their initial public offering in which that they're also doing a massive raise. And that's where you start seeing like the like pay attention to the next time you see the next IPO because you'll see that, okay, hey, they're coming in at this amount of shares at this valuation. And then from there, it's like, okay, hey, it's a massive amount of fundraising that normally takes place on the public side. So now it's no longer on the private side's problem. It's now on the public side. So AKA everybody here in this room may partake. And so it's a very interesting thing to really think about. Um, but yeah, so it's just something to, to really like just keep in the back of your mind. So while we think of like the overall IPO process, I think the biggest thing is, is that like, what's going to happen next year when we look at IPOs? Like a lot of times people like stepped away from the IPO market because of the fact that they saw what was happening economically. So you're saying, 
Mark, do economics really pay? Do they really play a major role in companies deciding whether or not to go public or not? Yes, because economics can weigh on the sentiment. And if economics weighs on the sentiment, then essentially imagine a company going IPO during that period of time, especially if you're looking to raise capital. Well, that may not rule best in your favor, especially when we're looking at, say, for example, valuations. So this is one of the major times when a lot of companies that go public, they're under heavy scrutiny when it comes to their valuation. Now, notice beforehand, you know, they may face a little bit of scrutiny depending on valuation and where they're at. Um, but most of your unicorn based companies like your Instacarts, your, Met your Metas, your Googles, those are all unicorn companies, a.k.a. worth a billion dollars or more. Now we got to come up with a whole new phrase. Go ahead. OK, so you just mentioned that, you know, economics plays a role. So if economics isn't, you know, if there's not like a lot of stimulation in the economy, then it might hurt the IPO to, to actually IPO. And that's probably why we are only seeing five. But talk about like when, you know, business is booming, the economy is going great. And like what you might consider when you're going to IPO, because it might be too crowded. Like you may actually get less than, yeah. you know, what you yeah. work. So it's, it's very finicky because of the fact that, you know, you know, now don't get me wrong. There's going to be investors out there for every company. So just, just keep that in mind. There's always interested investors. Like for example, like Stripe, when they go public, there's probably going to be a ton of folks that maybe in, that missed the boat on, let's say, the Square, aka Block now. I don't know why they changed that name. Or that they or the Coinbase folks, like the folks that want access into another fintech company that's new to the market. They may look at, let's say, a Stripe for, let's say, Instacart that's getting ready to go IPO. Maybe they missed the boat on, let's say, an Uber and now or Uber or a Lyft company. So now they want to go after the next big thing, which is within that space and going after Instacart. Now, what I mean by do the economics really fit the sentiment right now? So currently cost of capital is high. So which means that when cost of capital is up and when let's say we're in a high inflationary environment, capital markets are also going through their little bit of a squeeze as it pertains to credit. So now those like kind of like produce some challenges if you're a CEO or if you're a board that are looking that are looking at the market and saying, OK, hey, is this the opportune time? Because one is our valuation believable Two, essentially, are there investors out there that would really want to invest in us? Because here's a statistic that we typically I think we talked about this a few years back. When companies go IPO, yeah, they may have a great week in their IPO, but then typically what happens after that first week of IPO, the stock tends to actually go towards the downward side and it sits in purgatory for about a year or anywhere from six months to a year. And then after that, like after they start proving that, okay, hey, that they belong here, that they've, they've gathered their footing, each stage that you get to, so for example, for a startup that just produces this idea, it has to establish stable footing, aka market validation. When it goes through those periods of going from, from early stage to growth, they have to establish market validation that says that they're in growth phase. When they get to the IPO market, you have to establish, again, market validation that you have staying power, that you also have, uh, that there's still some growth there. One of the things that can ultimately suck, and this is one of the things that we're, we probably may see a little bit of that scrutiny for a company like, let's say, for example, Instacart. Now, we know what their growth model is, which is bringing in other like, you know, retail businesses and everything else. But there could be a potential challenge towards Instacart's IPO, because now if I'm an investor, Instacart has been around for a very long time. Now, if I'm an investor, I'm sitting back and saying and asking myself, well, where is the growth? Where is the potential? Do we still see that same type of hyper growth over the next five, seven, 10, 15 years? 
in the market. If not, I may not be so inclined to buy the company right now. And it may see, seem a little bit too valuation rich. And I'm going to wait for the company to ultimately kind of level off and then step in and nibble on the stock. So oh. that's something. Go ahead. I was going to say, so with, okay, let's, let's look at Instacart for a minute. Okay. Because, you know, at the height of 2020, when people, you know, only emergency, not emergency, but like essential workers could really be out and everyone's trying to stay home. It yes. did well, right? Yes. Five started to open back up. It's Instacart is still here. Yep. And if they're now, you know, in the IPO phase, They've had like some staying power, but the question that I have now is, okay, so if we're looking at potential growth market, like where else is, is what else is Instacart going to do? Because if, if it's not about getting more customers or getting more retailers um, to offer their services, like where do they go after that? Because that's going to, that's going to run out. Yeah. So um, that's a good question. So one of the things that you're seeing Instacart do is open up its platform for like families. So now they have a family shared account and wish that it's a Instacart plus. So not only are they getting it from that side, but they're also getting the premium plus. And then on top of that, adding for, for example, faster delivery times and wish it. So that puts you in, say, for example, ahead of everybody else in the queue as it pertains to getting, you know, your items or whatever it may be. Um, I think that honestly, it's going to be a challenge because Instacart's one of those companies like Uber, where it's just like, you kind of don't know until it's like, you know, you're going to see them throw some things up against the wall and then they're going to see what sticks. Yeah. So it's a it's a tough one for Instacart. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, another company out there is like, you know, the DoorDashes of the world. So, again, that's also starting to step into the grocery market space. So, you know, it's it's that question like, OK, hey, should it should Instacart have gone public during 2020 when, like you said, during at the height of the pandemic where everybody's at home, where the revenue is like beautiful and everything else? Because, you know, also another thing that, you know, investors look at is you want your financials to look beautiful. Always make your financials look beautiful. When your financials start to look a little ugly, now people say, oh, well, you know, you nice and all, but, you know company down the street is looking really nice right now. So I got some choices. Mark, they still would have ran into this, the same situation of needing to basically fight for their life for like true. a year. It's true. Because everyone would have thought like, oh, well, you know, this is just because we're in. But they would have, but they would have had a pass though. They would have had a pass yeah. because of the pandemic. Now you got companies like, uh, let's, let's move on from Instacart. Now let's look at another interesting IPO where this is actually where the market is well, very much so in its favor, okay. which is ARM. Now, of course, everybody remembers ARM because NVIDIA was supposed to acquire it from SoftBank and then ultimately put it underneath its umbrella of just awesomeness. Um, but that didn't happen. <laughs> so we find ourselves with plan B. We're going to have to plan B it. And SoftBank was like, uh... We gotta need y'all to move up off of our balance sheet for real, for real. <laughs> so y'all gonna have to go somewhere else. And so now they have to go IPO. But here's the interesting part of it. What's one of the hottest commodity items out there that's like, even though we're in a market in which that it's very tight and everything else, there's a ton of challenges, but not logistical, but economically we see challenges. The one thing that's booming right now that everybody can't get enough of chips. Who's a major part in that entire spectrum of chips? Arm. Now, for the longest period of time, Arm has been very neutral. Like, so they just been the they just serviced everybody. So they work with companies like Nvidia. They work with AMD. They work with Intel. They work with so many of the other major players like Taiwan Semiconductor and whatnot. 
So they play, they get along with everybody. And I think that that's the reason why the arm deal got so much scrutiny was because yeah. of the fact that they get along so much with everybody. It's like, okay, hey, how can you snatch them out of the marketplace? Right. Well, it's interesting because now it's a very opportune time, but be careful because I wouldn't be surprised if we see, say, for example, NVIDIA maybe making some moves as it pertains to, because once you're a publicly traded company, it's a little bit different as it pertains to the acquisition process versus acquiring, say, for example, private company. So that's something to watch also. It's not going to immediately happen, but normally when you are going to acquire a company, of course, you have to go through like CFIUS and all these other organizations. But yet at the same token, you just need board approval from the, sh from the shareholders uh, and major stakeholders at the company. So this could be very interesting to see how it shakes out uh, for ARM, but I think that they have a pretty awesome opportunity Oh. Uh, and it also gives them more cash to fill their coffer so that way they can make even more investments in the future. So are you are you suggesting that NVIDIA might purchase um, ARM anyway once it's public? Hey, if you want something, <laughs> look, I'm from around the way. I'm leaving with something. <laughs> 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 OK, so that's that's pretty much the IPO market. Now, of course, we can look at some of the other stuff within the spectrum of things for IPOs. But I think that that's the grand, that's the granddaddy of them all, which is, that's what we're looking at when it comes to those. Um, outside of that, I mean, I mean, I think that we're going to probably see the IPO market heat up. And I think that everybody's going to be watching these next set of IPOs to see how they play out. And based upon how they play out, they're going to be looking at it from the stance of, okay, hey, if ARM's, I, I think the one to watch is ARM. Instacart is going to be like, okay, it's Instacart, you know, we get it, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the, the IPO to watch for, I think that all tech companies will be watching will probably be ARM. Um, that's going to be the company that everybody's going to watch. Because I think if that shows promise, there's a lot of companies out there that are just sitting on the sideline waiting to see if the coast is clear. Um, to see if they can jump in and possibly take their companies public. And I think that 2024, you'll definitely start seeing more of those public, you'll start seeing more of those IPOs come to, to their head. Uh, and then 2025, we'll see that, you know, probably if, you know, of course, knock on wood, if anything else like changes, variable change, if variable change happens, then of course, you know, my thesis has to change. But uh, my thesis so far says that we'll start seeing more IPOs in 2024. Uh, based upon what we see from ARM. And then, of course, uh, in 2025, we'll be like, okay, hey, the IPO market is very much so back. Well, Mark, I just want the record to reflect that all parties require chips, okay? so That's a fact. <laughs> we just need to, you know, take a little collective pause on that because I have been team SMH since the beginning of time. Yep. And we just need, we just need, you know, look look at look at ARM being a, being a leader in this IPO world. We're going to, let's watch them and see like how many other IPOs come out? Because five since January 2022, that's... Well, okay, so here's an interesting one that I think that is, here's some interesting IPOs that essentially that everybody should be paying attention to. Now, this company hasn't really spoke about it because their CEO and founder is like very much so a lock, like he has an exorbitant amount of like, you know, holding within it but i think that this would be the company that would literally change the entire game for the ipo market and that company is epic games now of course if you remember epic games they went through the, that whole drama and saga with apple as it pertains to their app store but i think that honestly like this would be the company to watch why 
because you have to look at all the things in which that they're intertwined with. And I think that if we're looking at, remember that image that we shared earlier where we talked about the future of film and production? Mm -hmm. Look no further. That is our wonderful friends over there at Epic Games. And essentially like where you have a set that is virtual um, that essentially like, okay, hey, I'm just standing in front of a screen, but all the effects and you're starting to see this in some films and some TV shows and stuff like that where you're seeing that, okay, hey, is the set that's around them or is the environment that they're in, is that really the environment or is that a massive screen that sits behind them that looks so much realistic that essentially it gives them uh, that feel that they're actually in that environment. So that's something that I think that everybody should definitely be paying attention to. Like Epic Games is definitely that company. Interesting thing is, I think in the private market right now, the stock is currently at 430 bucks a share based upon its valuation. Of course, that will change significantly because when you go IPO, there's a significant amount of dilution also as it pertains to creating more shares for other shareholders, a.k.a. the future shareholders. So we'll probably see that price come down significantly to, to spur investor interest. But that's the company definitely to watch. And I think that everybody is probably going to be watching that one to see if that if they ever go public. Of course, the I'd be remiss to also mention that the other IPO that we forgot to talk about is uh, Databricks. But I think that, you know, I think it's just more so in the sense that the press just gets tired of asking their CEO, hey, when are you guys going public? So I think he finally just like, you know, he finally got tired of it. So there's that. Okay, so, and I know that we're, we're coming up close to our, towards our, uh, towards our Cinderella hour, uh, possibly, depending on, you know, how so the vibe security. goes. So we got AI and we got security. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know that we just talked a lot about IPOs, um, but Gardner Research, you know, I kind of, you know, I tend to like come back and come back to Gardner because they pretty much do some pretty extensive things. And so yeah. they, they found some pretty interesting trends, Jolyn. You know, sure they, did, Mark. They, 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 they had some pretty interesting trends. Now we're leading into the AI sector, um, which will also kind of play into security as well. Because I think that honestly, like with generative AI, it's also going to produce er everything over on the security side. So I think that we'll start seeing more AI infrastructure next year. Um, so like right now, it's more so consumer enterprise focused, but then we're going to see more of those AI, those AI pieces and LLMs step into cybersecurity, which will also be used for things like uh, detection of fraud and everything else. We'll start seeing those things take significant jumps. Uh, I think starting next year. So the companies to watch there is definitely the cybersecurity companies. Uh, and then also your database companies, like for example, your data dogs, your cloud, your cloud strike, uh, your crowd strikes, uh, your FTNTs or AKA Fortinets, uh, those companies, of course you got Palo Alto networks, all that other good stuff. So I think that there's a strong upside for them as well, especially as we start to see that you know, again, you have to look at where AI has actually like entered into the space. And given that AI is still very new in some spaces, especially on a generative and large language model uh, type, again, this is going to produce so many opportunities. Like, for example, you know, NVIDIA, though that they're dominating the AI space right now, market penetration is only like, what, 5, 10 percent? Around there, yeah. <laughs> so there's still a long way to go as it pertains to like, OK, hey, that this is where we're at. And that's why you see people like Dan Ive saying like, this is like their Tesla moment, or this is like the iPhone moment for companies like NVIDIA. So like, who would have thought they, their one mistake turned into a major massive opportunity. Um, so take that. Um, but one of the interesting conversations, cause I was looking at generative AI and I was like looking at like, okay, hey, we haven't really heard anything about Apple. And as it pertains to generative AI, we've heard it from every single other company, but we haven't heard it from Apple. And the question is, will we hear anything about generative AI from Apple 
in 2023? I'll answer it now. No. Will we hear about it in 2024? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But here's the interesting thing about about Apple, though. And this is this is how like I, your 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 word of the day. You ready for it? <laughs> it's not that. It's not that. I promise. You. <laughs> it's not that. Uh, your word of the day is actually more than one word. So, okay. but the the phrase of the day that I want everybody to look up is called Blue Ocean Strategy. Oh, I think I read that book. Okay. About it, Blue Ocean Strategy. Yes. So the thing is, the one thing I love about Apple is that they do this very significantly, like on everything. Like notice, like notice what they did during their WWDC event. They didn't talk about all the buzzwords that normally other tech companies did. Instead, what they did was they created their own phrases, their own like terms for them. So essentially, like, you know, instead of calling it AI, they actually gave it different terms. Instead of calling it VR, they actually gave it a whole different term. So that way, essentially, like they didn't call it the metaverse. They called it something different. They coined their own term. And you can actually pull these things up on their Apple website in which that they literally like have a list of all these things in which that they filed patents for that literally focus around their products or their services. And this wouldn't, so when I say generative AI, I don't think that Apple will literally come out and say generative AI. I think that what Apple will do is they will come up with a whole different term that literally focus towards generative AI. I think it's going to be centered around their photos and and iCloud. So I think that that's definitely going to be a service where they bring generative AI through iCloud or iCloud services. And from there, I think that they're also going to focus it also around places like health. So, for example, generating, say, for example, workouts, generating, say, for example, things as it pertains to, you know, mental health, because they've stepped into that space where, like, if you've been testing out some of their stuff, they use some of the generative AI pieces to literally ask you based upon the data or based upon what it's gathering from like your watches and stuff like that to ask you, how are you feeling and all this other stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see those things, but as it stands right now, most analysts predict that it will not be out in 2024 though. I think that we will see it, but it will just have a whole different name, but which brings me to some of the trends that I want everybody to focus on when we think about AI going into next year. So cloud data ecosystems, I think that we've already started to see that. So 50%, I think that we'll see a like, you know, I think that we'll see a 50% uh, in new system deployments in the cloud uh, based on, you know, cloud data rather than the manual, you know, integrated points solution. So like you're going to start seeing things way more AI focus. Um, so I think that that's trend number one that that Gardner definitely hits very easily. Um, then they have this thing called edge AI, which is the demand for edge AI is growing to enable the processing of data at the point of creation at the edge. So helping organizations to gain real-time insights, detect new patterns, and meet stringent data privacy requirements. Edge AI also helps organizations improve the development, orchestration, integration, and deployment of AI. So I think that this is going to be huge because of the fact is there's a lot of companies out there that don't know how to like either get started or what they're thinking about as it pertains to integration of AI and also how to deploy it within their own systems. So that's going to be something that I think that you're going to see uh, probably also in 2024. Gardner actually has that at a 55% prediction or actually above 55% prediction that they will see that as something that's huge, especially when it comes to neural networks. So something 2024. 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we also have responsible AI. So making AI a positive force. So AI for good. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
they so they say make up AI a positive force rather than a threat to society and to itself. It covers many aspects and make and of making the right business and ethical choices when adopting AI that organizations often address independently, such as business and societal risk uh, or value, risk, trust, transparency, and accountability. Now, I think the one industry that will probably need to adopt this fairly quickly is the film industry, the film, uh, TV, uh, and writing industry. I think that this is going to be something that they're going to definitely need to incorporate immediately. Um, If not, then this could possibly become a cluster. Um, so then we also have the data centric AI. So represents a shift from a model and code centric approach to being more data focused to build better AI systems. So of course, it's like, you know, we normally see this where it's like, you learn from the data, you focus on building it better, aka making much more iterative steps. So solutions such as AI specific data management or synthetic data. So like, for example, shout out to you mid journey users out there that's synthetic um where you can generate images and everything else so again the focus there is you know solve many data challenges including accessibility volume privacy security so again notice what we're starting to see here security is starting to you know show it's uh normally security is always looked at as the ugly stepchild um in the room Dang, the ugly <laughs> but i think that now it's going to start saying okay hey you know we probably need to pay attention to this before this gets, you know, very, very bad. So, and then of course the fifth one is, I think that you're going to see a, like, if you saw that this year was a lot of AI investment, Mm -hmm. you have no idea what type of AI investment is going to be made in 2024 all the way up to 2026. So AI investment will continue to accelerate by organizations, says Gartner, uh, implementing solutions as well as by industries looking to grow through AI technologies and AI-based businesses. So I think that this is going to be massive here. Um, so when we look at it, they by the end of 2026, Gardner predicts that more than 10 billion will have been invested in AI startups that rely on foundational models, aka larger language models, LLMs, uh, and on huge amounts of data. So they did a poll. You ready for this poll? Mm-hmm. More than 2,500 executive leaders found that 45% that recent hype around ChatGPT prompted them to increase AI investments. That's wise of them. 70% said their organization is in, is in investigation and exploration mode with generative AI, while 19% are in pilot or production mode. So <laughs> something to like definitely pay attention to. So when people are saying, well, NVIDIA's price is too high and, you know, the other players, like, I think that NVIDIA's lead right now is massive. Don't get me wrong. NVIDIA's lead is massive on the generative AI space. Here's your homework, everybody. I want you to find out what's the next iteration after generative AI. Because I think that honestly, while NVIDIA may dominate the space of generative AI and LLMs, you know, we've seen in this tech space where it's like, you know, leadership can change very fast. You know, they say change can be in the wind. So something to pay attention to. I had to, you know, stay hydrated out here. Yeah, I know. I know. So that goes back to Blue Ocean strategy then. Yes, it does. It definitely does. Um, So what do we think about like, okay, so, you know, you know me, Jolene, I I would be remiss if I didn't give you guys some more data. So, you know, of course, we got to have a quick little presentation real quick, and then we're going to call it. So this one is what's the future of generative AI? And so so let's look at this real quick. Now, here's an interesting stat that I, I found earlier, but I couldn't I couldn't refine it for some reason. But um 
so let's look at it. So educator, uh, so educator and workforce training, right? So overall technical automation potential comparison in, in midpoint scenarios. So 2023. So look at the gap though, you know, yeah. with generative AI and educator and workforce training is at 54 without it is at a 15. So you're starting to, I think this gives you a good idea as it pertains to what's happening. So like builders, you know, 49 to 53. Uh, agriculture 59 to 63. Um, but as you see here, you see a significant amount of, say, for example, potential here with AI. Now, of course, you're starting to see some of these things out here that are pretty even, even flow because of the fact that they probably have already started using AI and now they've in, adopted it into their workflows. But like, for example, office support, creatives and, and arts management, look at the staggering differentiation between so that. The trend though, Mark, look at exactly. the difference. It's like people versus machine. That is correct. That is correct. All right. So there are many applications, I mean, which, you know, you guys can, you know, check that out. And then generative AI use cases will have different impacts on business, business functions across industry. So what we're talking about, like, for example, marketing and sales, you know, look at the like, so the darker the blue, the higher the impact. So I know that, you know, people are like, hey, like, you know, um, that's a little too small. So let's 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 make it a little bit larger. So hopefully everybody can see that. So look at high tech in software engineering. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's the deepest blue that you see out there. So like, for example, when everybody's saying that, okay, hey, well, you know, Mark, we got all these like, you know, companies out here that are like, you know, we have all these other industries that are like out here at tech. Tech is also not exempt when it comes to AI as well. Like though that they may have created it at the same token, they can also be in for a little bit of disruption as well. So we're already starting to see that with some generative uh, AI with no code services that knocks out like companies being able to launch MVPs a lot faster. So and then this gives you an idea as it pertains to AI, uh, Gen AI could deliver significant value when deployed in some use cases across the selection of top tier industries. So the of course, deep blue is high and you know light blue is low. So the risk model documentation, you know, but at the same token, their legacy code conversion, optimized migration of legacy frameworks. So like, for example, a lot of those softwares that a lot of those folks within the banking sector, especially at those regional banks, are due for a massive amount of disruption. Um, and security and you said that again? I said, especially with security and fraud prevention. That's correct. It can be a high impact. Yes. And then the same thing can be said for retail. And of course, pharma, um, I think that they're they're in for a massive amount of acceleration, especially when we think about like drug and uh, drug research and discovery. Um, but I mean, most organizations aren't using it yet. Like that's the biggest part. Like so, for example, you know, they're still on machine learning. You know, it's kind of like and this is going to kind of like age me a little bit. Uh, so Barely. Uh, we, can, we can move it off. We can move the. Uh, the image off the screen and back to us. So remember back in the time when it's like you went to like a lot of companies and they were still using like Windows 2000 and yet we were already on like Windows Vista. Yeah. <laughs> that goes to show you how slow to adopt like a lot of companies out there are. And then it could be for a multitude of reasons. Some of it could be because of just educational knowledge. Like they're not a, they're not up to date on some of the most recent technologies or they know of it, but they, they're probably very much so risk averse and all those other things. So again, you know, these are the things in which that we look at across the board. Um, you know, of course, your most, you know, innovative sides of the industry are going to be more likely your entertainment industries, your tech spaces and everything else, which they're always highly able to adopt. 
But, you know, the ones that are slow to adopt, they're probably still back in the machine learning part. And they probably just figured that out correctly. Like they've probably got that down to a science finally now. Now you brought this thing called generative AI. Whoa, what is this? <laughs> now I have to learn a whole new thing. Like, what are we doing? And so I think that that's probably what we're seeing. But I think that that's what provides a lot of market upside opportunity for a lot of these spaces. And with a lot of these things, especially when they're slow to adopt, Many times they're slow to adopt because they're also thinking about, okay, hey, well, you know, it's one thing if we think about it from a standpoint of, all right, well, we got this new piece of technology and then we finally learn how to use it. But then are we prepared for it? Are we really truly prepared for it from a security standpoint? What if something happens? You know, that raises up our liability significantly. And a lot of times these companies, they're there to protect their liability, uh, essentially from, you know, potential cybersecurity hacks and everything else. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things to definitely pay attention to, because I think that we'll probably see that in 2024 where we see some generative AI uh, cybersecurity hacks. Well, Mark, I do have to say that this episode is definitely for a, the, thes the a thesis maker. That's correct. So Heading into 2024, like now's the time to start thinking about and revisiting whatever your current trading plan is and whatever your thesis is um, and looking at it for a look at it in a longer trajectory, but then also look at it, you know, just over the year for 2024, like what what are you seeing is going to happen? Where are you willing to invest and think about um, what's going to impact your own portfolio? Yep. This is the time right now in the fall. Yes. Now is the time. So like, and, and here's the thing, like when we think about like, you know, market dynamics and all this other stuff, like mm -hmm. we already know that the market is going through, it, it went through a correction or, you know, some folks will say a healthy pullback, depending on where you're standing or where, what side of the table or the aisle that you sit on, you know, August, September are normally times in which that new theses are, or new thesis are put together. Um, or is it these I? I'm just kidding. Thesis. <laughs> um, so you're starting to see a lot of those things formulate now. And then, of course, you go through that moment of deployment. So, you know, I kind of think about it from the standpoint of, you know, market typically runs from January to September 30th. And then around September 30th, and that's when everybody kind of like takes a chill pill and then or they've they've already had their chill pill. And then now they're just starting to deploy. And then as we go towards the end of the year, this is the time where you got to start thinking about what's happening next year. What am I looking at for next year? You know, what are what does sentiment look like coming out of 2023? And what is it that our expectations are for 2024? You know, the same thing that you look at it from, let's say, and you know me, I'm going to make it universal for everybody. So in the same way that we had last week's episode. So if you're a C, I'm going to teach every single one of you out there how to how to think like a CEO, if you haven't thought about it already. And if you are a CEO, then, you know, kudos to you. Hopefully this is just something that adds a little bit of something to your toolbox. So you've gone through this year, you've gone through your finances and everything else. This is around the time that you do that. You normally like, and think about it, most investment firms or a lot of investment folks will literally take money off the table to assess risk, to assess essentially where their focus is and what the thesis is. And then essentially once when they formulated all of that, then essentially they start to deploy all over again. You don't deploy, you don't keep your money still in the market or you don't keep money on the table while essentially, you know, you're still thinking about it. You think about it first and then you, you make your moves by putting your money on the table. Same rules apply for, say, for example, the folks that are thinking about their finances. So last week I gave people 
some insight as it pertains to how is it that you should look at things. Look at your money as if you're the CEO of you Inc. or whatever it is. That's the way that you should look at it. So, for example, if you didn't if you didn't do so hot this year, why didn't you do so hot? What were the things in which that you did? Now that you realize that, all right, what's your what's your focus for next year? What is your goals? What are your objectives for next year? And how are you going to manage that performance over next year? All right, now that you've done that, okay, and you've put together a strategy for moving forward, now you're saying, okay, hey, well, is this the right and opportune time for me to start executing on such strategy or can it wait a little bit? That's up to you because everybody's situation, just like every company is different. So some companies will be a little bit more risk averse. Some folks will be more risk tolerant. So that's up to you. So then now that you've done that, after you've done that, now it's like, okay, hey, you start stepping into the space. You don't throw all your chips on the table. You don't do that. What you do is you take your necessary time to essentially, if you've had a strategy, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 25%. And then after that, it's like, okay, hey, if you see that there's more opportunity, speaking to the investors now, if you see that there's more opportunity, then go ahead, take it. Like, I wonder how many folks out there bought NVIDIA when it was four, when it was 404 bucks a share. And then when the stock market corrected, if they're thinking about it for a long-term uh, fix, did you add to it? Or are you sitting back and waiting for a potential other opportune time? Or if you're looking at, in, if you're looking at AMD, you know, did you see opportunity in AMD and say, okay, hey, well, you know, NVIDIA is running a little hot. AMD isn't even on the stage yet, but are they coming to the stage? You know, and what is the strategy there? You know, these are the things that we think about when we start to strategize moving forward. And that's the way that each and every single one of you should start to strategize as well. So again, if it's your finances, look at your finances, examine how did you get there? How is it that you're going to get out? What is the overall objective over the long term? What are some of those key pieces and milestones that you're going to need to take in order to get there? Once you've done that, then essentially start moving accordingly towards those milestones. And of course, measure yourself. So once we get to the September 30th, just like here's a secret, it's not really a secret at all, at all. So normally governmental organizations, they have to submit their budgets by September 30th. Now, if you work federal, then you understand what I'm talking about. So normally around this time, there's like that waiting period. And then once after that waiting period, then new budgets have been approved. And then essentially people start making the necessary investments or necessary moves moving forward, technically before January. And then essentially, by, because by the time when we hit to January, everybody's off to the races. Think about the same way how the stock market moves. Everybody gets very much so silent as we go towards that September 30th. And then typically after September 30th, we tend to pick things up a little bit around typically like after September 30th, around mid-October or something like that. Same way works within companies. Look at how many companies have now gone silent. Like, like they're they're now in their quiet periods. They're now back, like they're now focused on if they're if they're a Q4 company, then they're very quiet and they're getting prepared to do their marketing push for Q4 the holiday season. If they're not that type of company, then they're focused towards mid-year of next year. So AKA what happens after February, March. So these are the things in which that you got to look at as it pertains to a cycle. And if you're looking at it from that type of cycle, and then of course, you got to think about the economics. What are the economic risks? What are the economic opportunities? If you see all those things, I guarantee, you know, not, well, not guarantee, but, you know, I, I guarantee you that you will have a better perspective as it pertains to what the outlook looks like for you. Any questions, Julie? Nope. Okay. I gotta do. <laughs> Wait, she's like, I heard this before, so don't worry. <laughs> she's like, I've been there, done that with, look, we've had conversations, so don't worry. Um, so that hopefully helps each and every single one of you. And like I said, as we move forward in this in this closing semester for each and every single one of you for executive education, 
our focus is again think like a ceo think like a chairman think like a, a member of the board that's the way i want each and every single one of you to start thinking about it and the way that you look at it is you don't just look at what's in front of you you look at what's coming behind what's in front of you and then also what's potentially over the horizon you know that's our overall focus and goal um because you'll find that sometimes you'll see that there's nothing outside of what's in front of you. You may see that it's nothing but clear green pastures in front, behind it, which makes it easier for you to run through. But if you see that there's other obstacles down the road that could be potential factors, then you start to plan your strategy accordingly. So thank you each and every single one of you for watching uh, Executive Education. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe because we definitely want to hear from you. If you have questions, we'll try to. I'll also try to answer some of those questions in the comments. Um, but outside of that, have a wonderful week, y'all. Be sure to tune in for Abby and Chris, as well as Mark and Mo this week. Thank you for rocking with us. Thank you, Joe Lynn, for being your wonderful, awesome, galactic self. And until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Joe Lynn GC in the place to be. And this has been Executive Education. We'll catch y'all in the next one. Peace, y'all.